So this morning's reading is from Acts chapter 3 and we're going to go all the way through to verse 4 in chapter 4 which is found on page 1092 of the church Bibles. So that's Acts chapter 3. I'll give you a second just to find it in your your books. uh, So from Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, he recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to him, in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and disowned him before Pilate, though he decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know has made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing from may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. 
and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Though your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Our Father, we thank you so much for your work amongst your people, for creating the church, but also for giving these uh, new crops, these um, the, 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 the new seed that you plant and, and grow churches out of them and that people come to know Christ through them. And we thank you so much uh, for the church at Modbury, Trinity Church Modbury, formerly known as Trinity Northeast. We thank you for the 10 years that they have had and for the way that you have worked in and among them uh, during that time by the power of your spirit. We, uh, we pray for them this morning that they would rejoice and be glad and be thankful and continue on in witnessing for Christ. Lord, please grant them many decades ahead in which you are working through them and amongst them uh, for the sake of Christ. And we pray in Christ's powerful, powerful name. Amen. Okay, what are we hoping for? Big question. We were looking at it at this, that sort of question at... Um, Life Explored last week. What, what, are, what are you hoping for in your life? While I was at the chiropractor this week, lying face down with my spine being adjusted, my chiropractor asked me what I was working on at the moment, and I told him I was prepping a talk about a man who was unable to walk, possibly because of spinal problems. And uh, the man was healed by the apostles of Jesus, and this indicates to us that God values our bodies. My chiropractor is not a believer, but we got on, talk, got on to talking about the importance of our bodies to God. That when God came to us, he came in a human body. That when he died on the cross in the body, Christ's body was also raised. His spirit didn't sort of go off somewhere else and leave the body behind to rot in the tomb. As a result, I said, Christians aren't waiting for a disembodied experience floating around on clouds but rather a restoration of our bodies in the same way that Jesus body was restored now as a man very interested in restoring and maintaining body health my Cairo said to me he was really looking forward to that uh, so you know to seeing what's on the other side and I thought well I need to tell him the gospel so I said God wants us all to repent of our sins and put our trust in Christ so that we will have certainty in the future now I'm not sure if he quite believed me that that repentance and faith thing is so necessary. I think he's hoping that if there's an encounter with the maker after death, it will be okay if you've lived a good life. But I must say evangelism is quite challenging when your conversation part partner literally has you by the back of the neck and your face is being squashed into a small gap in the table. Uh, but anyway, afterwards, 
you, you do what you've got to do. Um, but afterwards, I sent him a link to a short video, and I hope to be able to build on that conversation next time. I think one of the things, one of the reasons we, we love these healing miracles is that they are so tangible. We may not know how it happened, you know, did the muscles and nerves sort of instantly regrow, reconnect? We don't know. But we love the fact that this man's disability is instantly removed. Not something he has to live with anymore. So what are you hoping for out of your faith? Are you hoping for a miracle? Is your body breaking down? Is something growing in it that shouldn't be? Do you have friends or family members with disability, disease, or just bog-standard deterioration? Does today's passage tell us to just to keep praying for the miracle to get rid of those things? Well, I believe that it has important things to tell us about this and about what we can be hoping for. I have three points and then a question. The question really is, is, is should we expect miracles today? So first of all, three points. Point one, there is a new kind of dignity. There used to be a political party in South Australia called Dignity for Disability. Do you remember that party? They were only deregistered a couple of months ago, actually. I really uh, warmed to this focus on dignity for those who have a disability because it's so easy to exclude people with disabilities, which is undignifying. I'm a parent of a child with Down syndrome, as many of you know, and I'm very keen to see my child included with others. He may be limited in some of the things that he can do, but his value, it turns out, is not found in what he can do. It's found in his humanity. He's just as valuable as any other child in his class. So we're going to shift our minds back to first century Jerusalem, where we've been spending some time over these last few weeks, and we find a man with, dis- with a disability placed every day at the gate to the temple so that he can beg for money as people come and go. It's possible that he is disallowed from entering himself. It's possible that he's here because, you know, frankly, a beggar at the temple is more likely to receive gifts than if he's just by the side of some street. But whatever the case, he's not just lame. He's a beggar. He's begging. He's at the, the beautiful gate, and yet his circumstance is not so beautiful. He's totally dependent on others, and all he can do for all day is ask for money. It, it feels undignified. And I think he knows it, because when he asks Peter and John for money, he's not looking at them. I think he's got his head down. I think he's, he's holding out his hand. Help for the poor, help for the poor, this kind of thing, you know. But Peter and John, when they come past him, they look directly at him, according to the text, Hey, hey, look at us. Look at us. And so he does. He looks up. He gives them his attention. He's expecting to get something. He doesn't know what it's going to be. And then they break into song. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. You're really going to leave me singing this on my own? Uh, Anyway, that song, if you don't know it, sorry about that. but that was an oldie. And actually, it's not too far from the text um, that Peter actually does say. Uh, Silver or gold I do not have, says Peter, but what I do have, I give you. wonder what he's got. Is he hiding something behind his back? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, 
walk. And so the man receives something better than cash. There are a lot of things in life better than cash. He receives something stronger than human help. This is God helping here. And he receives something genuinely worth celebrating. Peter takes him by the hand and he helps him up to his feet. What are you doing, Peter? And we're told, verse 7, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And you know what he does next? He goes into the temple courts and he's walking and he's jumping and he's praising God. And people recognize him. Hey, hey, that's that guy. He's, he's the guy from the gate. What's happened to him? And they're filled with wonder and amazement. When does this ever happen? You know, it was just as rare back in their days as it is today, except for the fact that many of them had seen Jesus doing exactly these things only a few months before. And so now it seems that his disciples are able to perform the same miracles as Jesus himself performed. They seem to be his representatives now. Jesus' ministry is continuing through his apostles, his sent ones. So what do you think about all this leaping around, you know? Is it entirely necessary? It's, it's kind of not what you do in the temple. Uh, is it undignified? It reminds me of a beautiful moment a thousand years earlier. I wasn't actually there, but um, when King David, in 2 Samuel, King David brought into Jerusalem the Ark of God's Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was an ornate gold-covered chest uh, it was designed by God himself, intended to be brought with the people wherever they went uh, in order to remind them of his covenant with them. And this is how the first ever arrival of this ark of the covenant into the city of God's promise is described in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It says, David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod, literally only a linen ephod apparently. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal daughter of Saul, also David's wife, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Sometimes joy is frowned upon. But a little later, David would say to his wife, I will celebrate before the Lord. We're not always good at physical expression of our faith, are we? It's just, it's, you know, we find it hard. I think there's a challenge for us here. It feels undignified. But King David did it, and now this healed man has done it. It's a new kind of dignity. Restored by God and praising God with all your strength. That's human dignity because that's what humans were made for, praising God. It's a new kind of dignity. Point two, a new kind of power. Word has blitzed through the temple precinct, and now verse 11, all the people came running to them, in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And just like last week, Peter 
uses this as an opportunity to address the crowd. Why does this surprise you, he asks. Interesting question, isn't it? I mean, this guy's never walked in his entire life. He's lame from birth. And now look at him, he can't keep still. It's nothing about us that has made this man walk, says Peter. The God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, has glorified Jesus. And that's the big news here, is what Peter is saying. Parents expecting a child will usually go and have an ultrasound at some point. If you have a child with a disability, it's often many ultrasounds over many months. I remember my very first ever ultrasound watching this creature underneath my wife's skin, deep inside her, appearing on the screen up here. And you want to say, that's amazing. This, this thing gives me x-ray vision. I could see inside it. Isn't this, isn't this technology amazing? But I stopped myself. Yeah, 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 the technology is amazing and congratulations to those who've invented it. But what is inside her uterus is a million times more amazing. There are these little feet and little fingers and a little heartbeat. You don't want to miss what is the really amazing thing and get distracted by the, by the amazing thing. But Peter says the really amazing thing here is that God has glorified his servant Jesus. And so this ends up being a sermon not so much about the healing, but about, guess what? Jesus. God glorified him. You, speaking to his Jewish crowd, handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, even though Pilate had already decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one. Even, you even asked that a murderer be released to you so that Jesus could be pinned on the cross. Peter's point is that this one whom God had glorified, has glorified, i.e. he's given the ultimate commendation for a human being to this one, it's the same guy that God's people did literally everything in their power to kill. He was innocent. The court had already said that. But they begged for freedom, not for him, but for a murderer in his place. It's a very pointed message that Peter is giving to his audience. He says these extraordinary words. You killed the author of life. Is that even possible? Is our depravity literally bottomless? Killed the author of life. But God isn't pushed around. He raised him from the dead. And we, he's referring to the apostles who are with him, we are all witnesses of the fact that he's been raised from the dead. These 12 pairs of eyes here and many others have all seen Jesus alive. You can't take it away. It's just fact. It's happened. And this is a very punchy message. He acknowledges, verse 17, that they had a level of ignorance, but they still needed to repent, verse 19. It's the same with us. We have a level of ignorance. We also have a level of geographical and historical distance from this. And yet it, it really is an indictment of the entire human race that Jesus, God's son, was killed by human beings. And so we too need to repent. Now, repentance. How, how does that word sit with you? Some people don't like it. I don't think my chiropractor liked it. But do you know that repentance is good news, not bad news? 
When an offended party tells you that they want you to admit what you've done, to apologize sincerely, and to do things differently from now on, you know what that means? It means they want restoration. The call to repent actually comes out of love. And what we have done to Jesus is actually not unforgivable because of God's love and mercy. Turn to God, verse 19, Peter says, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. It's amazing. And that he may send the Messiah, send him back again. You see, God wants to refresh us, not burn us up. He wants to restore us, not make mincemeat of us. This is the big news that Peter is announcing in his sermon. And so what is the healing about then? What's the point of it? How is it even relevant? Well, verse 16, it indicates that what that healing of that man and the resurrection of Jesus have in common is the idea of a new power. There is a new power at work. It's not political power. It's not the power of the courts. It's not the power of a mob. It's the power of a name. Verse 16 says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, how can a name have power? Well, it depends on whose name it is. And the way Peter retells the message of Christ's, Christ shows why Christ's name is above every name, literally above every name. This is the name with absolute authority because this is the person with absolute authority. When his name is invoked, nothing in the universe can stand against his power and authority. That is why when we pray, we very often finish our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And that's also why blasphemy of the name of Jesus is so serious, so dangerous. In this story, not even malfunctioning body parts can stand against the power of this name. But that's just the beginning. This is God's power, the power of our creator, unleashed in creation. And against much more than just one single person's disability, wonderful as that was, this power is unleashed against death itself and against wickedness. So that in verse 26, Peter can say this, When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, the Jews, that is, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. There's God's power. The name of Christ is bringing salvation to the people of God. For salvation to be real, it needs power and authority because it needs to overthrow whatever is keeping us captive. And it's our wickedness and our impending death that are keeping us captive. But as we saw as we flicked into the early verses of chapter 4, the number of this is just, just the number of men who are counted, there would have been others as well and their families, the number who believed in Jesus grew to about 5,000 as a result of this event. This sermon, the power of Jesus' name is liberating them, 
even as, at the same time as Peter and John are being hauled off, they've been arrested. And yet, but they wouldn't be in prison for long, of course, because Jesus had more work for them to do. So the name of Jesus, you know, it's not just a phonetical, interesting thing or a cultural or anthropological curiosity. The name of Jesus is the authority of Jesus to bring salvation, even today, to you and to me and to the people that we know. Death and sin could not stand against him. There is a new kind of power in the world. Point three, and also the title of the sermon, a new everything, a new everything. Peter promises times of refreshing. I think this refers to the work of the Holy Spirit that he does in us, giving us the peace of Christ, the hope of life, the love of God, and so on. Peter promises the wiping out of sin. He promises the return of the Savior. And then and all of these point to what he says in verse 21. Verse 21 says, Heaven must receive him or host him until the time comes for God to restore everything. As he promised long ago through his holy prophets. The holy prophet Isaiah, I want to quote some of these verses because it's good to get these in the, in the front of our mind. From Isaiah 65, God says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Our hope as Christians is not for a new car or a new phone or a new house or whatever it is we kind of want a new thing. No, our hope is for a new everything. New heavens and a new earth. Restoration of our life in God's presence. Dwelling in the eternal city. Do you want that? No pain. No fear. No death. No disability. You know, I actually find it quite challenging in some ways as a parent of a child with a disability to imagine what it would be like for my son Charlie no longer to have his disability. Because it's so much a part of who he is. You know, because Down syndrome is chromosomal, it's found in literally every cell of his body. Part of what it is to love people is to embrace them as they are, right? Ali and I only know him, uh, we only know Charlie with an intellectual disability. Is it, is it wrong for us to want him to be free from that? I actually don't have a complete answer to this. However, there are a few important things that today's passage teaches us. It teaches us, firstly, that God's plan is good. Sinners are forgiven. Death is conquered. A man praises God for being able to walk. God's plan is good. Two, it teaches us that the current world needs restoring. Injustice must be put right. Money isn't what we need. And people are born with scars of the fall on them, in them, some more obviously than others. God's plan is good. 
the current world needs restoring. And thirdly, it teaches us that Jesus is not just a handy helper in life. He is the fulfiller of God's plans. His name carries God's authority. He is coming back to restore all things. When we read the news on our phones or on telly or we read books and stories, we watch movies and documentaries or whatever, we get a picture in our heads of what we think normal life is like. And you know, the weird thing is I think we're, in a strange way, I think we despise hope. There is always a place for hope, but, but I think often our aspiration in life is more about just managing, just sort of muddling through than it is about hoping for something really that much better. Do you know what I mean? We just assume that we're always just going to have to muddle through somehow. But as these apostles are starting out and they're playing their part in the unstoppable mission of Jesus, we see not just fun stories. We see a glimmer of something very different in the future. The name of Jesus with just a word makes a lame man leap for joy. There is hope. Not just for a few people, but for all creation. For all who will turn to him in repentance. We must repent of our sin and turn back to God or we cannot take part in this glorious future. But we should also walk and leap and praise God a little bit more. Because if he can create the universe, well, surely he can restore the universe. Well, the question, what about miracles today? Should we expect to see them? And the shorter answer is yes, but. So I've got five quick points to finish with. Uh, Firstly, (coughs) miracles are signs of the great restoration. Little restorations pointing to a big restoration. They're not the great restoration themselves. They were never the goal of Jesus' earthly ministry. They weren't even the main focus of Jesus' earthly ministry. Rather, they enabled the proclamation of the message of salvation of even greater restoration in the future. Peter heals the man and then turns and gives the sermon. And it's the sermon that turns the 2,000 men to Christ and their families with the assistance of the sign. The message, though, transformed their hearts. And it's actually the same today. It's the message of what God's mission is about. That's what God's mission is about. And the message is what will transform people's hearts. So, Miracles are signs. Secondly, we cannot command miraculous healings in the same way that the apostles did. Jesus authorized the apostles to be his witnesses to the extent that they can walk up to this man and say, walk. That's a unique ministry given to these 12 people. What it it means is that they carry Christ's authority with them. Of course, it didn't always keep them out of strife. Um, But their task was to bear witness to Jesus in word and power. And now we also bear witness to Jesus in word and power, but not with apostolic power on our own heads, although we carry with us, if you have a copy of the New Testament, you carry with them the apostolic authority. And we read the words that come from the apostles as being the very authority of Christ over us. And so we do actually carry that apostolic witness with us. Point three, 
God will not restore all things until Jesus returns. Often the reason we want miracles is because we think they would be better than the restoration. We don't articulate that thought, but I've just done that for you. We, we, you know, we're focused on our, on our deep, personal, tangible needs. But there's a risk, isn't there, that we take our focus off the big one. But God is giving time for people to repent because without repentance, people will not see the restoration. So our priority is to preach repentance and faith in Jesus while there is time. The restoration will be too late. Fourthly, God will give us the prayer answers that we need and we have to trust him in those. I know of miracles that have happened as a result of prayer and dependence, even very recently in my own extended family, extraordinary things happening. It's never wrong to pray to the healer for healing, so please By all means, go ahead and pray and pray and pray. And yet I've also known people to have prayed for decades for particular things and not received what they've asked for. And that can be hard. It can test your faith. But the kind of faith he wants is faith in his name. Faith that trusts even through the hard times because he's actually molding and shaping us. But God will give us the prayer answers that we need. And fifthly and finally, if the message is the priority, then when you do see prayer answers, use them to proclaim Christ. Keep track of the work that God is doing and then tell others. But don't just tell them that you had a helping hand from Jesus. Tell them that Jesus is the name above all names and that he is coming back to give us a new everything and that we must do business with him. Let me lead us in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy that you can turn, through your will, you can turn the hearts of wicked enemies of your own uh, back to yourself that through your mercy you take our repentance and you turn it to restoration. Our loving Father, we thank you for this wonderful miracle that Christ did through his authority, through the agency of his apostles on this man. Thank you for the great hope that it stirs in our own hearts of the great restoration of all things that is planned. O Lord, we pray by your Spirit, please give our hearts a yearning and a a longing for that great restoration. And give us a sense of the urgency that people need to hear about this and that we need to, to do the difficult thing and ask them, ask people to, uh, to repent of their sins. Our Father, we, we just pray that you would work through us and among us, stir in us this great hope that our lives might be oriented towards your great promise, your great, um, the great anticipation of the restoration. And Lord, wherever we are in our own walk, whether we're struggling over long, uh, many prayers that we've prayed many times, or whatever it is, we pray that you would give us encouragement this morning uh, by the word that you do heal and that you've got a lot in store for us. 
Our Father, we pray these things in the unstoppable, powerful, mighty name of Jesus. Amen.